If you have a Bible, you can open up to Genesis 48. We'll be there in just a little bit, continuing. I love how it's called a mini-series, but it's, four, or it's 16 weeks, so it's a mini-series taking up a third of the year. Um, Jacob and blessing. Uh, I'm among strangers primarily, although we uh, met some friends that we know or have mutual friends from Boston, so it's very much a small world. Um, but what we share in common is, is this, a mutual love, affection, and curiosity about Casey Fritz. Um, as, as Casey shared, uh, I was and still am a recovering jerk, um, very much true. Casey was my first boss when I was hired on at the church I was working at as a janitor. And, and to be here today, like all joking aside, it's really a story of God's grace and reconciliation because um, there's been a few times, not a ton. I, I don't tend to be a very violent person. I don't tend, such a good sentence. Um, but in the few times that that's come out, it has been towards the person, Casey uh, Fritz. And, and there's been restraint in that. And, and if you want stories, there's stories there, but not a few times where, where I was finding myself physically uh, having to like just restrain and kind of do one of these. And, and what's neat is time goes by and Jesus heals wounds. And, um, and here we are in LA giving each other hugs and, and all of that. So that's what we share in common. There's something else that we share in common, and that is uh, that all of us have lived a life that has experienced some amount of brokenness in the midst of it, right? And again, that's with varying degrees. I don't know your story, you don't know mine, but I know that in common, we all have varying levels of brokenness that we have experienced with one another, with our families of origin, all over the place, that, that brokenness has pervaded our lives. And today, as we look at the story of Jacob in blessing, what I hope is by the end that our imaginations collectively, see what I did there? Um, every time I say that word, that collectively our imaginations would be sparked of what it looks like to carry and be a blessing into the world around us. What it could look like in our lifetime and in, in however long God gives you here on this earth, what does it look like to be a blessing to the world around us. Now, I realize that even saying those words, those words are packed with a lot of preconceived notions and weight and, and, and baggage with it. You hear the word blessing, and I was talking to my wife on the way out here as we were driving out, and, and even that word carries kind of a, a silly connotation, blessed. It's a very Christian-y word, and it's, and it's lost a lot of its richness over the years. Like, things go right, say, in, in your latte art coming together, and you take a picture of it, and it's hashtag blessed. Um, I, I, again, I, I don't know the Southern California context as much as I do within Prescott, but I imagine like, oh, say I, the 405 I drove on that, it was clear all the way down here, hashtag blessed, because I'm guessing that is a rare thing. Um, it's just once in a while, I'll, I'll just pull up Google Maps, look at LA around rush hour, and just pray for Casey, pray for you all, and go, I don't know how people do that. But, but here's what I say when, when I say and mean blessing. We'll get to a quote. It'll be later. It doesn't need to be on the screen. Uh, there's one author that says, scripture shows that a blessing is anything God gives us that makes us fully satisfied in him. Anything that draws us closer to Jesus. So a blessing is anything that God gives us that draws us closer to 
Jesus. And as we continue this series, what we see in Jacob's life is at the end, he blesses his grandsons and then his other sons. And all throughout this series, you're looking through this hall of faith that Casey has said is really a hall of failures. Because if you look through the story specifically of Genesis and all throughout scripture, every single one of these characters, pretty much minus Enoch a little bit with Joseph next week, is is a colossal mess up. The fact that these characters are in Scripture gives a little bit of, of the, the verification that Scripture's true, that it's not just going, hey, here's all these superheroes. It's going messed up, ordinary people that pursued a very, very faithful God. And in the Jacob that we meet today, it's interesting because he's the third person that gives uh, the identifying mark to God throughout the rest of Scripture, that he is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of... Jacob, you guys are with me. This is good. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's kind of this capstone on this God who is to be known from this moment as the covenant-keeping God. And the way that we know he keeps his covenant is he identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so what we see in Genesis 48, as as we're going to get there in just a moment, is that the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, which God appears to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a great nation. You guys have kind of gone through that family line. It's now beginning to be populated. It's now beginning to take shape within this family. But in order to get to the blessing of Jacob, we need to get to the backstory of Jacob. And I'm a pastor, and I'm just asking for your forgiveness ahead of time because I do this. It's like a flinch to just name everything with the same first letter, alliteration. Uh, and, and I know I shouldn't do that. It's 2018, and, and that's cheesy and whatever, but, but forgive me in advance. Okay, so here's where we're going. We're going to look at the backstory of Jacob. We're going to see the blessing of Jacob, and then we're going to look beyond Jacob. If you're wondering where all this rambling's going, that's it. Okay, so backstory, uh, blessing, and then beyond Jacob. So first, the backstory. Uh, We are going to pick up at the end of his life, but we have to go all the way back. So Jacob, his family tree, Abraham and Sarah are his grandparents. Isaac and Rebekah are his parents. You learned about Isaac. It was last week. If you didn't, uh, collectivechurch.com, you can get the podcast. So there's a, a free plug right there. But what you see all throughout this family line, as I've mentioned already, is that there's brokenness all throughout it. And Isaac and Rebecca, they have twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And, and I've learned a little bit about twins in, in the recent months. Our best friends, Colin, uh, Colin and Colleen, Colleen is Casey's sister, had twins. And, and they live about three minutes away from us. We've all grown up together. And in twin life, are there any twins in here today? Anybody a twin? Okay, so wow, three, four of you. Um, it, from what I'm observing, twin life is rough. Like, I, I fed these kids, it's Hugo and Shepard, I fed them dinner one time, and, and we're all getting ready, and, and I have free hands, and they're like, hey, can you feed them dinner? Yeah, no problem. So I'm getting their rice cereal, and, and it's one bowl and one spoon, but there's two babies. And so I give them a bite, I'm like, is there another? And they're like, no. And the other one's frustrated, because I'm giving this one a bite, and I'm like, these guys are just swapping spit, this is really gross, but your parents told me to do it, I'm sorry. Like, and, and they're poking each other's eyes, so automatically, Jacob is off to a rough start being a twin. Like, his life is more cramped. 
They aren't identical twins because Esau is red and hairy and he's his father's favorite while Jacob is, is a little more timid, mild homemaker. He likes sewing and he probably has his own Etsy shop. There's no judgment on that. That's just how it's going for him. But there's already favoritism in his family that's taking place. And, and Jacob is known for being somewhat of a deceiver, right? He, if you know the biblical story, he steals his brother's birthright, which we'll get into, and then he takes his brother's blessing as well, and, and he's kind of a wily one. He, he's a little bit slimy, he gets the reputation for, but he also encountered an incredible amount of brokenness. So, so he's a guy that wrestles with God. How does that go? I don't know. It sounds like he has a limp the rest of his life. He, he, he works for a, a lady named Rachel. He finds a wife, probably not his youth leader, but, but she was an attractive individual nonetheless. So he finds this gal, Rachel. He wants to marry her. And so he starts working for his father-in-law. This is the way it worked. If this is how it works for us, none of us would be married at all. He works seven years for this guy, Laban. And in the end... On the wedding night, Laban, who is way worse than Jacob, does a switcheroo. So, so can you imagine for a second, you work seven years for your spouse, and you get switched on. And he wakes up, and it's Leah. That's a bad night. That is a, well, sorry, uh, that's a bad morning. Seems, anyways, I... I'm trying to be pastoral here. That's a, that's a bad morning. Behold, the Bible says it's Leah. And so he works another seven years. That's how much he loves this woman, Rachel. He gets married to Rachel, but then it begins to get heated. Now, if you're new to scripture or you've got all sorts of issues with Christianity, that's fine. Maybe one of them's polygamy. It might not be until now. Well, here we are. So, so with polygamy, scripture never says thou shalt be polygamous. Scripture never condones or commands polygamy, but what scripture always does whenever polygamy is mentioned is notice and, and notes how badly it goes because you have Rachel and you have Leah and all of a sudden Leah starts having babies and, and Rachel is infertile. Now again, this is a, a hard situation. Jacob's in the middle of it. And so there's this jealousy that he's having to deal with. Rachel goes, here, sleep with kind of, again, family lines of brokenness that's coming down the pike. Sleep with my servant so that I can have a, a child. So he does. He gets a child named Dan. Uh, he fights with his father-in-law. He's trying to uh, go and just do his thing. His daughter is assaulted. Two of his sons end up in response to that, waging war on foreign nation, basically wiping them all out. He's dealing with trauma after trauma, fire after fire throughout his whole family. He ends up having 12 sons, one of them, which is his favorite, Joseph, the coat of many colors. You'll get there. Uh, he ends up being sold off, but his sons say, no, he wasn't. He, we got to cover up. We can't say that we sold him off. He was mauled. He, he was destroyed by a wild animal. And so he's dealing with the mourning and the loss of that. Later on, his son, Benjamin, while he's being born, he loses his wife, Rachel. All of this to say, Jacob has a ton of brokenness in his backstory. Yes, he's the deceiver and he gets the reputation for that. But on top of all of that, there's trauma after trauma, story after story of him being and having to walk through the craziness of life. Near the end of his life, as if things couldn't get any worse, there's, there's a famine. And his family looks like they're going to die until they hear that there is going to be uh, food and provision in Egypt. And, and so here's what's interesting, and you've seen this throughout the series, that, that what 
the Bible chooses to record in Scripture. Like, and again, this is God's deal. I'm not God. But if I'm writing Scripture, I'd be like, and looking at Jacob, I'd be like, by faith, Jacob worked another seven years for Rachel. I mean, come on, let that take a lot of faith. You've worked for seven, you get tricked the night of, and then you go out and work another. That takes a lot of faith, right? By faith, Jacob wrestled with God, because that sounds amazing. I'd like to hear more about that. That's not what scripture gives us. What scripture gives us in Hebrews eleven twenty one should be up on the screen. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So at the end of the life, what's recorded is that by faith, Jacob blesses. And so this is where we pick up in Genesis 48. We're going to cover this whole chapter fairly quickly. Let's roll. It says, after this, Jacob being reunited with his sons, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said, behold, I will make you a fruitful, uh, make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons whom were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrathah, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrathah, that is Bethlehem. So in this opening section, we see that Joseph Joseph is reunited with his dad after all of these years of separation. And what Jacob does here is recall the promises of God, which is amazing to see that at the end of his life, he isn't recounting all of the sorrow, all of the heartache, all of the pressures that he faced. He's recounting the faithfulness of this God. In the end of it all, he is recounting the God who has blessed him. Now think about it. If you were to give an account of your life today, if you were to recall all that you've experienced and it's, and it's nearing the end, what are you gonna recall? We just sang about it and that's my hope and prayer for all of us is that at the end, whether that be today or 55 years from now, that all of us would have the perspective to see the God that has blessed us through the trauma, blessed us through the trials, blessed us through the heartache and the loss that we would see that above and beyond our circumstances. Jacob, near the end of his life, is seeing and saying to his sons and his grandsons, this God, through it all, has been faithful. And then it picks up in verse eight. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel, that's another name for Jacob, were dim with age, so he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them 
from his knees, so, so you get the picture that these kids are probably a little bit younger. They aren't like 30. They could be, they, and maybe that's a tradition where they sit on their father's knees still at 30 years old, but their younger kids were believing here. Joseph removes them from their knees. He bows with him. Uh, he bowed himself with his face to the earth, and Joseph took them both. Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, in Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and he brought them near him. So, so we're getting this picture that Jacob wants to bless his grandsons, and in fact, he's elevating them. He's, he's saying they are going to have the blessing as though they are our real sons. And so instead of just this 12, there's going to be 13 here, Ephraim and Manasseh. So Joseph begins to bring them forward. And in the Bible, there's, there's two big categories. There's a category of birthright and there's a category of blessing that is passed on from generation to generation that, that's been largely lost in 21st century America. We don't necessarily have these categories. I've, I've known a few families over the years where, where the, I, I worked with and for one guy who was the firstborn son. And, and every time his father came to visit him, he just brought loads of cash because there was this idea of him being a firstborn son that was very important. And then his firstborn son would ad get additional cash every time grandpa would come out. And, and the three younger brothers got squat, but it was this kind of tradition. And then that kid just had his own baby, firstborn of a firstborn of a firstborn. And I think you can get the idea. But throughout scripture, there's birthrights and there's blessings. Much of it is lost today. But the firstborn son, traditionally in scripture and the day, would get the birthright. That is that they would be the head of house. They would have honor. And in the, the passing of the father, they would get a double portion of the inheritance. This is why probably still today, the, the oldest sibling is always, you know, at least from the younger siblings, is, is hated on. I'm the third of four. That tends to be one of the best in birth order. Is, scripture teaches that elsewhere. Um, <laughs> And so what we see is with Jacob's story, early on, he, he was the second. Though he was a twin, he, he came out second, grabbing the heel of Esau. And later on in life, Esau's outside, Jacob is inside, which is typically their story. Esau comes in from hunting and he's hangry. He, he's near the point of death. And, and Jacob, the Bible says, sells him a pot of stew, lentil stew, probably, you know, vegan. Um, he sells it to him for his birthright. That's how hungry or dumb Esau is, that, that he sells him this for a pot of stew, Jacob deceiving him. So Jacob takes his birthright from him. But then a blessing beyond a birthright is a portion of the inheritance that would often go um, as the patriarch of the family would near death. One commentator says that it's a gift you cannot claim as a right. So in birthright, in order, like that's kind of the way things were in culture, you could claim that. Esau sold it. But near the end of life, there would be blessings given out to the family that would be above and beyond what would be deserved in the culture. That's what Jacob here is giving. So it's not just simply the birthright, but he's giving blessings now to his grandsons and elevating them. And here's how it goes in verse 14 of Genesis 48. Israel's stretched his right hand out and laid it on their head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the hand of, or the head of Manasseh, crossing his hand, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God, 
before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on. In the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So, so what's happening, and in scripture gave it a little bit earlier, is Joseph is coming to his grandpa. He's got one in his right hand, one in his left. The, the older one would have been on his left so that the right hand, you know, it's like raise your right hand. There's a significance throughout scripture with your right hand. The right hand of Jacob would go to his grandson over here and that, but instead Jacob crosses his hands and pronounces blessings on the grandsons. Now this is problematic as we will see in verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, who's the younger, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Again, he's saying this is not what's right culturally. You shouldn't cross your hands. The younger should not be blessed above uh, the older. And all the oldest siblings said, amen. And, and, And it shouldn't be this way. This is what's right. And so he's thinking, maybe my my dad, he's getting a little bit old. He's losing his eyesight. Let's correct it. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. You put your right hand on his head. But his father refused. He's got old man strength and said, I know, son, I know. He also shall become a people. And he also shall be great. Nevertheless, His younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus, he put Ephraim before Manasseh. He crossed his arms. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, uh, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. That is the account that makes it into the hall in Hebrews 11. So we see from Jacob's backstory, there's a ton of brokenness. And in this blessing, it is significant enough for the New Testament writer to note that Jacob crosses his hands, goes against normal standards of society in the day to bless his grandsons. Again, seeing this family tree, it is pretty messed up. It is pretty broken. It may look somewhat like yours or yours may be worse. And we see this combination in Jacob all throughout his life. There's this combination of personal choices that he makes with uh, society and culture around him that is outside of his control. As with God's sovereignty, somehow in the midst of all of this, painting this messy path towards here. And in Jacob's blessing, he does not allow the wounds, the shame, the hurt, the brokenness to block the plan and purpose of God. And through this, God is keeping his covenant and his promise. But again, it's not the way that we would necessarily or they would necessarily expect that. That God's plan and God's purpose is is coming and being transferred through this blessing, that arms are being crossed 
And, and what's interesting is, is eventually it's not even Ephraim and Manasseh. There, there's significant figures as the biblical story continues in the northern kingdom of Israel. For those of you history buffs that like that kind of stuff, it's actually Judah from which the line continues, from which we get David and eventually Jesus. But here's what we see in this blessing is that Jacob is going beyond just one generation. He's going to two generations. He's, he's blessing and he will bless his sons, but he also is continuing that blessing on his grandsons. Now, again, it is, uh, what, September 30th, 2018. Um, who, who cares? Like, I, like, really, on a Sunday, with everything you got going on, this is what you need? And I am going to argue yes, because that's my job uh, for this morning. But, but yes, I mean, really, a genealogy and kind of this winding history of, of some ancient father blessing his grandsons however many years ago? Yes, because what we see in this is a key point in the biblical story that is paving the way towards Messiah. In one significant point where we are putting a capstone on this God who has kept his covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which ultimately through Judah's line leads to King David, which ultimately leads to Jesus. And what Jesus does is in a similar way of Jacob is, is he invites us to be a part of this family. He invites us into his work. He invites us into his story and what he's doing, but he does it in a way that seems upside down. Again, if you're building a kingdom or you're building a movement or you're wanting to do something in the world today, you gather the best and you gather the brightest and you gather those with the most credentials and degrees and all that and you go, okay, here's where we're going. That's not what Jesus does. It seems as though his arms are crossed when he looks at you and he looks at me and he goes, these are the people that I want in this story to carry his name out into the greater Los Angeles area. The west side of LA, this group is going to do it. And I don't doubt that you are all very awesome. I, again, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt as it's been said already. I am a jerk. And so I come with preconceived notions and cynicism and all of that. I'm going to just assume that you're the best of the best of the best. But still, I mean, there's other people that I know live in LA that aren't represented here that I was maybe expecting to see this morning. Um, again, that's no insult on any of you at all. Uh, that's just saying, like, here we are, and this is the means in which God's grace is gonna go out into this world. It's upside down, and it seems crossed. And, and for you, I, again, I don't know your background or your history or what comes to mind when you think about Jesus, but, but it's upside down. Jesus's way is upside down. And, and this is good for us to be reminded of because often when we think about God and this word of blessing, we think everything going our way, everything being just right, everything happening the way that we had planned and desired and wanted, but we know from life experience this is never the case. And that's, in fact, really good news for us. In fact, when we look at the way of Jesus and we see what he lays out in the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of this template for life in his kingdom, we see it's very opposed to what we're used to. Let's look at it real quickly. It should be up on the screen. Matthew chapter five. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for those, those theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No, we want to be full in spirit. We want to be rich in blessings, but blessed are the poor. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, 
That is those who, who practice restraint, who, who aren't looking for the limelight necessarily, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so also they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As you look at this list that Jesus gives us of a life of blessing, it is completely counterintuitive to what we want and desire in this world today. We want control, we want status, we want appearance, we want togetherness. And Jesus is saying that is not where the life of blessing is found, that this goes against the grain. And so in following Jesus often, it sounds like it's all great until difficulty comes. And then we go, well, where are you, God? God is there in the midst working. Because God never promised us the American dream or whatever version of the American. Now it's not so much like what it was where there's this all encompassing. It's like, we just want a little version of this and this and this, and we pick and choose and kind of get it all together in our Amazon cart in addition with shampoo for chrysalis. And, and, and that's our version of the American dream. That's what we want. That's what we desire. And that's not what God has promised us. God has promised us his presence in the midst of all of the difficulty, in the midst of all of the heartache, in the midst of all of that, that he's in our midst working. And so I, I mentioned this quote earlier. It's from an author, Vanitha Riser, who wrote the book, The Scars That Have Shaped Me. She says this, what is blessing then? Scripture shows that blessing is anything God gives us that makes us fully satisfied in him. Anything that draws us closer to Jesus. Anything that helps us relinquish the temporal and hold on more tightly to the eternal. And it is often, often it is the struggles and trials, the aching disappointments and the unfulfilled longings that best enable us to do that. And I say, that sounds great, Vanitha, but what do you know? Here's the, the subtitle of her book. Like, really? Like, I go, that's so easy for somebody who has it all together to say. Here's her story. 21 surgeries by age 13, years in the hospital, verbal and physical bullying from schoolmates, multiple miscarriages as a young wife, the death of a child, the debilitating progressive disease, riveting pain, abandonment, and an unwanted divorce. That's the person who says that. A blessing is anything that draws us closer to Jesus. Often, blessings come in the moment as though it seems like God's hands are crossed, as though he has gotten it all wrong. It's funny, as I was studying for this and reading, there was a lot of people out there that were saying, well, in God's hands being blessed and his arms being crossed, it's gonna be you. And I'm like, okay, maybe. Like, like maybe you're the younger one that's getting the blessing, but what about the one that's like, Grandpa, like, no. You're... <laughs> Nobody's talking about that. Very prominent people are going, God's hand, it's going to be crossed, it's going to come. And I'm like, maybe. And once in a while, yes, where, where things just line up and it's like, oh, God's blessings have happened because it all works out. 
But is it not more so in life? And mostly it's in hindsight where you go, oh gosh, this is so messed up. This life, this circumstance, this situation, this is beyond my ability to comprehend, think, plan, pray, any of that. And that's where God is at work. For Jacob, God had blessed him by simply being faithful to him all throughout his journey, all throughout his failings, all throughout the trauma he experienced in his own life and from those around him. And he was calling Jacob to be a blessing eventually to you and to me through this story. And it happened. That the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob started a family line and started a family story that eventually leads to Jesus who welcomes us into this family as well. And so what I saw in my life as I was looking at God's word and being reminded of this yet again is what needs to shift in me is often not my circumstances, but my posture in the midst of it. What needs to change for me to both experience God's blessing and then be a blessing to the world around me is not my circumstances, but it is my posture in the midst of it. And what we see from Jacob's story, from Jesus' story, from our story today is that the posture that we have today will shape and affect the particulars of tomorrow. That the posture that we carry throughout today and the way in which we operate in this world will affect and influence our own hearts and those around us tomorrow. And we know that tomorrow is not guaranteed, but what we can do today is ask God for his help in showing us where there's inconsistency, where there's grumbling, where there's ingratitude, where there's impatience, where there's a lack of faith. For Jacob, he didn't know how this story would go. He didn't know how this was going to turn out. But in this day, he crosses his hands, he blesses his grandsons, and eventually that leads us to Jesus who is inviting us in as well. And what we see is that Jesus comes and he offers this blessing. And that blessing is belonging to his family, being a part of that family and that story. And that shifts and changes everything. So I want to close with this. Four areas in which blessing changes us. Think about this. Blessing moves us from one place to another, okay? So, so the blessing of God scripturally, biblically, and, and from the family of Jesus belonging there, it changes us from being a people who grasp for control to open surrender in everything. Blessing changes us from being distant and apathetic towards people to true community and engagement. That's not just living on the surface and talking about the news, weather, and sports. You guys got the Rams now and they're killing it. Like, like that's great. But beyond that, to engagement and to true community. It moves us from being defined by our wounds and our shame to healing and acceptance. Now, now I realize like from wounds and shame to, that word to is a very painful process. That involves therapy and counseling and community and people to speak life and pray and all that. I'm not assuming that any of this is just automatic and quick. It's this process of becoming. From wounds and shame, whatever that may be in your past or your presence, to healing 
and acceptance. Again, that is a belonging term from fatalism and cynicism. That's me. Two, expectation and hope. And that's not just like the Disney movie. It's all going to work out in the end. But it's, it's saying that, that the resurrection of Jesus really did happen and that he did promise to come back and make all things new. And until then, he's active, he's transforming, and he's helping us wherever we're at. So look at that list and go, where does God need to transform you? And what he's going to do is allow circumstances and situations that you and I probably won't like, desire, or even pray for, but he's gonna place you in those spots to change and shift your heart and story so that you might be a blessing to those around you wherever God has placed you. Let's pray.